Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. I'm Krista. I'm Kristen. And we are the, the Sixth Sense, Sense Society. Society. Welcome to another episode of the Sixth Sense Society. We are most happy to have Reverend Jim McGrath back tonight. And you'll know him from our first season when he talked about Mary Magdalene. But tonight he's going to be talking about the history and symbolism of the Holy Trinity. So we're really excited about that. So as usual, we're going to start, however, with our cosmic weather for the, this week. Tonight we have a waxing gibbous moon in Leo, which is very good for performance. And Monday we have a couple of, actually three things happening on Monday the 18th. We have the sun moving into Pisces at 3.04 p.m. Pacific time. And Chiron moves into the sign of Aries, which is very significant for a variety of reasons. And Kristen's going to talk about it, and I'm going to probably talk about it through the year because the United States mm -hmm. chart has Chiron in Aries. So that's going into Aries at 4 a.m. Pacific time. And then also, I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the major feminine asteroids. So Pallas um, is going to be moving retrograde in um, on that day at 29 degrees, 30 minutes of Libra at 3.04 p.m. And it's going to be retrograde until June. And then Tuesday, we have our Super full moon, super moon full moon. That's hard to say, super moon full moon. <laughs> and that's in zero degrees of Virgo, 50, 42 minutes at 7.54 a.m. Pacific time. So that's early morning on the Pacific coast. So that's our main events for this upcoming week. A lot going on with the moon, and we have more planets in water signs, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, I did want to mention a little bit about, I'm going to start talking more about the asteroids, because one of the things about Western astrology is that there's not as many feminine uh, planets. We have Venus and the moon. And so the discovery of the asteroids has sort of put another dimension into Western astrology. And as you know, Pallas Athena was connected to uh, Athena, who is the warrior goddess in, in Greek time. And she was discovered, the, the asteroid was discovered in 1802. Uh, she's particularly happy in air signs. So Pallas Athena is going to retrograde, but it's going to be in the sign of Libra, which is really nice. And it's actually in the natal chart for the U.S. It's going through the 10th house. And I want to talk about probably over the next couple months some things about the Equal Rights Amendment and what I feel about with the asteroids going in since there's only like one more state to ratify it. And it's been resurrected because of Donald Trump, we think. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. But um, Pallas Athena, was uh, she's not only associated with law and order, but also with certain household arts such as spinning and weaving um, and cooking, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, and in your chart, this is really interesting, uh, Pam Carruthers, who does this really great goddess report on her website called HealingStars.com, she says that in astrology, the goddess Pallas Athena represents the reflection and meditation that develops out of the turmoil of chaos and uncertainty, helping us to become more strategic and deliberate in our actions. So she sounds pretty cool to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll, I'll be talking about the asteroids in general a little bit more. Uh, so that's, that's it for the weather report. I think you wanted to add some of your thoughts about what's going on. It's interesting because I believe that Pallas Athena was also in Libra during the, the recent Venus uh, retrograde. I believe it was. And that's very interesting to me. So I want to thank you for um, bringing that up because I think it's extremely significant that you might want to think back to the, the um, October-November time, particularly November when Venus was hitting, uh, had gone from retrograde Scorpio into retrograde Libra. What's some, what some things that were going on in your life at that time, particularly around maybe relationships in the home? Um, you might be revisiting some things. So that's really super interesting. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the grand baton being tossed. 
Pisces uh, had Chiron for the, I believe it was six years, and now it's going into Aries. And um, this is a really significant transit. It's a huge cycle ending, new, new, new cycles beginning. Astrologer Timothy Halloran said something really fantastic um, in regards to uh, Chiron and Pisces. And I'll talk a little bit more, more about Chiron and Aries next week as it will be solidified in there next week. But I think we're kind of having our farewell to Chiron in, in Pisces. It's been, it's been tough. It's always in any of these transits, there's always the wonderful things, the, the things that are challenging. Um, and I know that um, Pisces and Chiron, it's very much about the purge. And uh, Timothy Halloran gave this great image about uh, how way back a long time ago when we were trying to get the toxins out and, and we were really sick, they would use blood suckers to actually suck toxins out of the blood, try to cure people. And he used that analogy about Chiron and Pisces, and I actually thought it was quite brilliant because it's never really very comfortable, is it? To, to delve deep into these waters of healing and emotion and uh, these aspects of ourselves. But it, and it's not comfortable, but it is very rewarding. And no matter what has gone on for you with Chiron and Pisces, as we're kind of hitting these last few days, please reflect upon just how brave you are, how courageous you are, <laughs> how, uh, you know, how you've changed. Um, and, and I think it's very exciting for it to be going into this very movement-oriented, fiery, airy sign. We're definitely going to feel um, a huge difference in that. Something else I also wanted to bring up that's really super important uh, is Mars is now in Taurus. It's been, it, got, it went in there on February 14th. It's going to be there through all of March. And this is a wonderful time to solidify your desires, your wants, your needs. Mars is desire. It's what you want. It's it's action, it's the warrior. And Taurus is about the hearth and the home, uh, very much about sensuality and love. But it's most one of the most important things about Taurus is that it's about being grounded, it's about the roots, it's about the earth. So it's a wonderful time to combine and to, and to set the foundations of what are your passions? What are your desires? What do you wanna fight for? Now is the time to really kind of make these very solid steps. And I think that you'll find that if you do that, you just might accomplish a lot going into the spring and summer. So thank you. I just wanted to add one thing about the ending of uh, Chiron and Pisces. Um, when I started researching it, when it first went into Pisces, the last time it was in Pisces was the 60s. Oh, wow. And so I fitting. wrote about a little bit about how, you know, there'd be more of protests and things like that. And sure mm -hmm. enough, it was unbelievably similar or picking up mm -hmm. after the 60s with some of the movements, you know, mm. Occupy yes. Wall Street and the women's movement, Me Too and all that. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, if you study the cycles of astrology, you can definitely see the repetition of, of things. So you're supposed to have taken it a little further it's because Chiron's healing, you know, it's supposed to be about healing things. Right. Um, that, I mean, that's one aspect of Chiron. Chiron is also the teacher. Absolutely. So, but anyway, I thought that was interesting how, the, I'm kind of interested in, in how history repeats through astrological cycles now. I think so. And so many um, of the astrologers were actually saying that right, we're going through this time that's very similar to the 60s, even though it doesn't really seem like it because we're so different than they were in the 60s. But I think those values that people are re-embracing them, which is wonderful. And I would love it if we would take it to the next level, mm -hmm. um, as you said. What's, what's beyond just the foundations of it when you know really kind of making change yeah so yeah <laughs> so anyway um welcome um jim again and Thank i'm you. gonna quickly mm -hmm. mention your bio again a little bit of, of what in case people didn't watch the last show he is the associate pastor and artist in residence at gateway christian church you're also a screenwriter and playwright and married to avon and I noticed you went to two seminaries, it looks like. Two, yeah. Different I just, well, periods, I right? I dropped out of the first one, yeah. Okay, so the Southern Seminary Methodist. Seminary dropout. No, no, I went to Southern Methodist as undergraduate. Oh, that's um, undergraduate, okay. I went to Princeton Seminary first. And okay. I did two years of the three-year program, and then I dropped out. And then you uh, went later to the Claremont. Claremont. Rec uh, more recently. More recently, yeah. I, I went to Claremont, uh, graduated in 2015. It took me about eight years on that one. Was, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's, you have a lot of background. <laughs> well, <laughs> I had to do it over again because when, you know, the uh, 
when I originally dropped out of, of Princeton, it was 1976. And then when I, I was going back, uh, it was 2008. And um, the graduate hours don't have that kind of shelf life. Mm. And I, so I had to start over. Mm-hmm. Had to take all of the preliminary courses over again, mm-hmm. uh, which was valuable. I, it, it, it was very different because my first time, uh, the, the time when I was at Princeton, it was all mostly white men in theology school. It was the beginning of women coming in, and uh, there were minorities, but it was white men. That's what the school was there for. And when I went to Claremont, white men were, I, I think I knew one other one when I was there. Wow. It was a very different experience. It was uh, a very progressive place and uh, just a very high academic standard, and I just got a lot out of it. Wow. that time it, but everything was from a different perspective when I, when I studied church history at Princeton it was a history of what the Europeans were doing you know and then I had to take this course the same course at Claremont was called world Christian history and there I discovered what the Chinese were doing hmm. in the fifth century you wow. know I had no you know all this right. stuff I had this Eurocentric idea of the history of Christianity uh, mm. And that the, the Christianity only went to these other places because of missionaries. No, 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 no. There were there was an emperor, a Christian Chinese emperor, wow. in the fifth century. You know stuff like that. Wow. And, and uh, one of the first uh, theologians whom I will quote tonight, uh, Augustine, was an African. You know, and yeah. it's like mm. the uh, uh, so much of what was happening that formed the ideas of the uh, Holy Trinity was in Alexandria, Egypt, you know, so the, uh, we think of these uh, in, in a European light, or I do, because I went to that school, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a bigger, bigger picture. Cool. Yeah. And now before we get into the heart of the show, did you have anything you wanted to say about upcoming shows, Michael? Yeah, we've got some really great shows coming up. And first of all, I'm super happy to have Jim back because uh, we've all obviously been friends for a yeah, long time, he's and he's just friend. so fascinating, and I'm, I'm just so happy he's here. And we look forward not only to the show tonight, but to many more shows with Jim down the road too. So as long as we can, can persuade him and make sure he has a good time and he comes and hangs out with us, we love it. It's always fun here. Um, the couple great shows coming up uh, next week. Um, now, next week is not going to be live. We're going to pre-record it. Um, we're going to have a, a guest on the phone, so with the time zone changes and stuff. Um, but it's Krista's dad, George Schwimmer, and mm-hmm. he's been working in past life regression for decades. So we're going to talk about past lives, and in particular, Edgar Casey's work on past lives as well. So, And he's an expert on Casey. So it should be a fascinating show. Um, the following week, we will be discussing magical wars, witch wars, and so some of the greatest ones in history and how to protect yourself if you get caught in a witch war and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So and some of that psychic self-defense, perhaps. So I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, we do have Rick McCallum and coming in the, the second Sunday of March. And Rick is a um, horror stuntman. He works in horror films as a stuntman, as his primary gig. But he was doing ghost hunting long before there was ghost hunters on TV, and he's traveled all over the world to fortresses and castles and prisons and all these haunted places. And so he's going to come... Um, and talk about his experiences as a ghost hunter, which I think is going to be awesome. And as many of you perhaps may know, is the, the building we use to film in is actually haunted. People have seen full-body apparitions here and whatnot. So the, the hook was he would do our show, and I could invite his guest in. We're going to do a ghost hunt after. So perhaps we'll see if we could take one of our cameras around with us a little bit and, and put that on our website for you guys to see what we find. And let's see if we can can put some, either confirm some of the ghost stories here or, or dispel them or something. But it should be a... A fascinating night. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. And then we've got a couple of authors coming up. We've got a Buddhist uh, Lama that is wanting to do our show. And so we've got some really great guests down the road. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, and, you know, our, our viewership is growing. So thank you so much. Our podcast audience is growing. And so we love you guys. And thank you for supporting our show. We hope we can continue to just bring you guys entertaining shows for a long time to come. So with that, I'm going to kick it back to you guys. And I may chip in if I have a, a thought, but you know, for the Dive most in. part, just have a great show, and we will talk to you guys down the road a little bit. All right, thanks so much, Michael. It's so exciting yeah. having a ghost hunter on the show. I know. I mean, I just, I, uh, gosh, 
We'll be doing a little ghost hunting tonight, but not that much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, the Holy, Holy Ghost. ghost. <laughs> Holy Ghost. It's, uh, yeah, so let's talk Trinity. Let's yeah. talk a little Trinity. Um, I was going to ask you uh, about the numerological significance of the number three. Well, I'm definitely not an expert, but I do study Kabbalah with the tarot. And so there's a couple of things in the Kabbalah that are connected to the three that are, to me, very significant. One is that um, the threes are on the left-hand side of the tree. And they're, it's high up in the tree, and the higher you go, the more conceptual things are. You know, So the aces are so pure, like there's nothing, there's no shadow to the aces. And so the three um, is after the two, obviously, and they form like a triangle. So it's called the supernal triangle. That's one three. Mm. And I've thought about that. I feel like that triangle is how thought works. Like there's a whole, you know, thing you could talk about with the teaching of how does thought work. But the threes um, represent, it's called bina, which is understanding. And it's associated with the feminine side in the tree and sometimes with the dark goddesses. Uh, in application, um, the threes can be quite reactive um, because there's an un once you start going down the left-hand path, it, there's more uncertainties that you're dealing with. Now, uncertainties, people always think they're negative, but they can be positive. I've, have you ever seen people like, you know, before a wedding, <laughs> you know? <laughs> people, it's, so it's, it's just a stressful kind of energy. And, and also, like, a lottery w winner could technically be under that path, you know, something that just happens to them out of the blue. So there's, because of the imagery of the tarot, a lot of people think, oh, the left-hand side is bad and the right-hand is good. And, and, of course, it's the feminine path, which has a lot of, you know, sort of, I guess, bias against it to begin with. So the threes are, and they're also the bina, which is the sphere of the threes, is also associated with queens. Um, so to me, three is about, it's, it's also the beginnings of real creation because you have the trump card, number three, which is the empress. And she's, she's probably one of my favorite cards, I have mm -hmm. to admit. I really like the empress. And so she begins anything from the smallest desire to the largest desire. She's the seed. So three to me has to do with creation, too. And it's definitely a very feminine energy mm. in, in Kabbalah. So that's mm. a little bit that I you know, know in terms of... It's, uh, a, it's amazing how much of that, we didn't do this in advance, I didn't hear her answer in advance, but it's interesting how much of that will work into this. That's, uh, uh, it, it ought to, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so good. These crazy notes I got. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, the most famous artistic portrayal of the Holy Trinity is painted by Andrea Rublev in the early 15th century Russia, and it shows three angels sitting around a table where there is a Eucharistic cup in the middle. And those three angels uh, refer to the angels in Genesis 18, uh, in the first book of the, of the Bible, the first book of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. And then Abraham and his wife Sarah go on to show extraordinary hospitality to these three strangers. And they, uh, they are revealed as God and two angels uh, telling Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, Isaac. Uh, so in, in the eyes of Christianity, they look back on this as an appearance in the Bible of the Holy Trinity. Now, there's no doctrine of the Holy Trinity in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just wanted to start with the scriptural roots of it. Um, the, the Holy Ghost and in, in the company of the Father and the Son, uh, or the Word, as John calls the Son, is mentioned several times in in first john 5 for there are three that bear record in heaven the father the word and the holy ghost and mm. these three are one and then uh in matthew we have therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and then back to the hebrew bible in psalm 33 by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. Breath is one way of looking at the spirit. 
to spirit means inspiration, breathing mm -hmm. in. Uh, so the, one of the things the spirit is seen as is uh, a breeze or breath. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, as, as you pointed out to me earlier, you have the imagery of the dove. And an interesting thing is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are mentioned in all four Gospels in terms of the baptism of Christ. And for Mark and Matthew and Luke to agree on something is, is pretty regular. But for John to throw it in, too, John tells such a different story mm -hmm. that it's, it's such an important moment in the baptism of Christ. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, is the idea of the different people, you know, everyone has a gift. And that, and that those gifts come from the Spirit. Yeah, that uh, seems to be a fairly significant thing. If you look at on, online, I noticed a lot of people talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which yes. I'd never heard of. Yes. And I thought that was really interesting. Yes. It's interesting. It's very interesting the kind of language into which the Holy Spirit enters. Yeah. And, yeah. and we're talking about different gifts that people have. That's, uh, that's, that's kind of a recurring theme. Mm -hmm. What I think is really interesting is the word. So the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. Now the Father, the Son, the Son being the Word, Jesus, who was here on earth. So it seems like a very, you know, he was actually here speaking to us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very grounded, um, it's like the grounded part of the Trinity mm -hmm. in many, or at least that's how it kind of feels well, to that's me. A, that's a pretty good description. Um, in, in, at the time when Jesus is baptized in Mark, you have a voice coming from the heavens saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And uh, the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. So there you have all three of them in one scene. In Matthew, it's, it's very similar. Uh, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son. So you have the Spirit in the form of a dove, the voice of God and the Son is the center of the story. Uh, Luke tells it, uh, he says, the Spirit took the bodily shape of a dove upon him, and the voice came from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now John tells it from a sort of a different point of view. He says, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven. This is John the Baptist talking. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So that's kind of the, the way that the Holy Spirit is used in, uh, in Scripture. And uh, isn't the dove a tie-in to Noah? Oh, the, yeah, that's a good point. I have a whole dove page because I thought I was going to say up. what the, people uh, ask about the dove. Okay, the, all the, the dove, dove. Yeah. and it also seems very angelic to me with the wings and the yes. sphere and the feather and air and you know what is above so below. It's the above and and the the freedom that goes with flight. Yes, and the uh, you're not really going to govern a mm -hmm. bird's flight, mm -hmm. and you're not hopefully going to contain it. Um. The, in Genesis, uh, we have Noah is, uh, sends a dove, and the dove comes back uh, with an olive leaf. Mm -hmm. And uh, Noah knew that this was the end of the rains, that peace had come. So the dove in this story represents peace, mm -hmm. carrying the olive leaf. Uh, and then we have, in the form of a dove, in all of the... Uh, all of the stories of Jesus' baptism, Christians derive the symbol of the dove and the olive branch from Greek thought. Uh, and that even includes the, the symbol of the olive branch in the story of Noah and the flood. The Jews never used the dove as a symbol of peace. It acquired that meaning among the early Christians 
hmm. confirmed by St. Augustine, mm -hmm. a North African, whom we're going to talk about later, St. Augustine yeah. of Hippo, in his book on Christian doc doctrine, uh, perpetual peace is indicated by the olive branch which the dove brought when it returned from the ark. Now, dove in, in our culture is associated with peace. You know, somebody mm -hmm. who's anti-war is a dove. And there's, uh, there's some qualities of the dove that sort of do represent the Holy Spirit in certain ways. Uh, the, the dove is white in color for purity, that uh, the dove expresses its affection by stroking its young and cooing in a soft tone. Uh, that's the, uh, the, uh, the metaphysical idea of the Holy Spirit as the comforter. Mm -hmm. mm. So, you, you know, you have that. That's very interesting. And the dove never attacks another animal. Or that another, is so true because we have there, a dove. No they're attack. so yeah. peaceful. Yeah. 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 When the young of a dove is attacked, the dove will not attack, but will cry out in distress. This concept is seen in Romans 8, as Paul wrote that when a believer does not know how to pray, hmm. the Holy Spirit will make intercession with groanings. Hmm. So that's that's really cool. That's another kind of. It a, also feels very much like reminding us about the compassionate God, and so often in the Bible, it's the sort of the wrath of God, um, but the nurturer, the dove being the nurturer, and very peaceful, very compassionate. Well, that's that's the thing about looking at the Holy Trinity is we will move far away from the wrath of God. Yes. That's nowhere in the story of the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of the Holy Trinity, then arose in during the first four centuries of Christianity. And uh, Arius was a uh, priest in Alexandria, and his teachings about the nature of the Godhead in Christianity emphasized God's uniqueness and Christ's subordination mm. under the Father. In other words, he's, he's saying, you know, that Jesus is not as good as God, basically. And so God tells Jesus what to do. God has dominance over Jesus. Uh, and something that I don't think Jesus would have argued with in, in terms of the things that he says. And there arose the Council of Nicaea mm -hmm. to fight this teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, and Athanasius of Alexandria, same town, he put forth the doctrine, uh, said that not only the son, he said, that the Son and the Father are consubstantial, meaning of the same substance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Arius was arguing that God and Jesus were of a different substance. And, mm -hmm. and he was stressing the, the whole idea of the substance, the essence of God, mm -hmm. uh, is different from the essence of Jesus. And Ananathius uh, argued with that. Hmm. And he argued that God... Jesus and the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. were consubstantial, and that had a great deal of influence over the development of later doctrines regarding the Trinity. So the Council of Nicaea uh, was, uh, was uh, it held that Christ was of the same substance mm -hmm. in this argument, but the conflict would not be resolved for another 50 years. There came later, uh, after Arius, Eumonius, who said that God's substance was described as unbegottenness. Hmm. The unknown. Because God wasn't born, you know, yes. so the, uh, he, whereas Christ was begotten. So yes. they're different. Yes. So we turn now to the all-important Cappadocian fathers who really set the, uh, set the standard for how we would look at the Holy Trinity. Uh, and they were Basil the Great, Gregory of Nyssa, Basil and Gregory were brothers, and then mm -hmm. Gregory of Nazianus, Gregory of Nazianus. And I'll be talking about them quite a bit. Um, they claimed that the essence of God was unknowable, and they changed the argument from essence, which is described by the Greek word ousia, mm -hmm. to hypostasis, which is person. Mm -hmm. As the person became the ontological method of describing God. And by ontological, I mean this is the way in which we describe something as existing. Hmm. Mm. Uh, so God exists. This is God exists, they said, not because of essence, but because of person. And and a person is only a person in relation to another person. Sure. You would right. have no if you were the only person, you would have no concept of person. Right. You know, but, but because there's three of us here, we have persons. There's mm -hmm. three persons. 
Uh, so we are the Holy Trinity tonight. Well, you know, there, there's there's parallels. I don't want to <laughs> want to claim too much, but um, in other words, they argued God exists on account of a person, the Father, mm-hmm. not on account of st- substance. And, and and they said if God were not personal, God would not exist. Mm-hmm. So this is all very Greek. This is all this kind of thinking is 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 Greek and Greek thought. Uh, from ancient Greek and the classical days of Greece, uh, in my opinion, a big influence on Christianity. And Greek thought kind of came and hid in Christianity for about a thousand years because once hmm, right. Christianity became the standard of the Western world, the, the beliefs and writings and studies and sciences and all of that and arts of the ancient Greeks were put away and hidden in hmm. a library in Spain. Wow. Kept by the Moors only to reemerge during the Renaissance. But they lived, I believe, in Christianity as mm. it grew. So this is it, it was Greek thought, I think, that made up the, the substance of the, the beliefs of the first Christian theologians. Um, in Greek theology, a person is described by their relation of origin. The Son is defined by origin from the Father. The Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father. Mm -hmm. Identity Mm. emerges from relation to another. So God is by nature originating and related. By nature, God is outgoing love and self-donation. So before the Cappadocians, the the Cappadocians, God was viewed in terms of old-fashioned ideas of monarchy. But Gregory of Nazinius, one of the Cappadocian fathers, defined it as being constituted not of one, a, a monarchy as being constituted not of one single person, but different persons of equal dignity of nature and persons that would return to the unity with, unity with what it sprang from, what the person sprang from. So this contained the seeds of a radical new social order. Thus, in the persuasive arguments of the Cappadocians, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are all three equally God. Hmm. They are equals in communion Hmm. with one another. This was meant to banish the idea of one person Uh. being subordinate to another. Very and, interesting. Yeah, and, and we'll get back to that. There, this huh. is a revolutionary concept and it of makes the sense with The whole idea of like you know revolution with monarchy that we have like a huge history of throughout the entire world history. Yes, yes. So it's very interesting. It's very to be, revolutionary. To use ideas, yeah. you know the Holy Trinity to use God Himself to to kind of make that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we we'll get back to more of that in a minute, but. The, uh, uh, these are all Greek writings. I want to turn now to uh, the Roman Catholic uh, uh, Augustine, whom we talked about before. He was a North African, and his writings are around 400. On the, he wrote, On the Trinity. Uh, he stressed the unity of the Holy Trinity and posited a very important thought, that the vestiges of the Trinity are imprinted upon the human soul. So Christian life becomes a contemplation of the image of God within us. God is found not just in the history of salvation, but within. And this was a very important idea mm-hmm. that, uh, that leads to a lot of the metaphysical uses uh, of the Holy Trinity that I'll get to in a minute. Uh, in Romans 8, we have, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So we have the solidification of the idea. Can I hold up a visual here? Uh, This is the, the Trinitarian shield which came about in about the 12th century. But you see on it, you see, you know, most people think the Father, that's God, and then there's the Son and the Spirit. No, no, no. God is in the middle of this. The Father represents the creator, the creative aspect. 
the sun is the uh, basically the love concept, and the Holy Spirit is the sustainer of all of this. The Holy Spirit is the uh, the change that happens, the unseen things, the change that occurs uh, within the soul. So mm. that's so you have the idea that the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are three different things. The, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. But they all are God. Uh, so anyway, that's... Well, that's so that's so here's, my, here's my beef with it. Is Wasn't the dove associated with the, the old goddesses, Venus, Astarte? So why couldn't they just incorporate, obviously, the feminine? Because, you know, from what I remember, the dove is like, like I think it's even on the Empress card. I think it's, uh, it's I think it's, it's a reasonable question to raise, <laughs> and and we'll get to it. Okay. We'll, get, we'll get to that. That uh, that uh, we'll get to that. All right. But, but this is sort of the where where they ended up. Well, it's, and it's very interesting with this whole concept that we all are one. We all come from the same energy as this table. Krista and I are mm. of the same energy. We're all we're all we're all individuals, yet we are all of the same space hmm. you know we we're all made of the exact same sure energy very sure. interesting yeah that's uh, that, the, and they 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 did an important switch in going from looking at the essence of god to looking at the person of god because once yes. once god's a person we're in relation i'm curious i wonder art wise if around that time is when artists began painting god as a person that would be an interesting piece of research. Up until then, how was he depicted in, in art historically? Yeah, that'd be a great show. Yeah, That sure. would be a great show to yeah, do. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I almost want to... I'm going right, to go well, home and research this and report back next yeah, week. Yeah, let's, awesome. let's, let's but I it. Yeah, because you see all... Like, and, and God changes throughout history, too, in art. I remember my... Just a joke, my friend Ed Ligham. Hi, Ed, if you're watching. He always says he wants to, like the whenever he would die, he'd go, yeah, I'm trying to look like the medieval Christ. Because the medieval Christ was sort of this emaciated kind of, and then, he's, and then sometimes he's depicted as very fruitful, and sometimes he's mean, and sometimes he's, so it's always interesting the trend of how God is depicted, mm -hmm. you know. Sure. Um, and so it's very, I'd be very curious to see how he came across an art when he was, we were taught, when God was in essence before he was a, personal you know very 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 cool stuff wow yeah well getting back to what you said uh, yes. about where's the feminine oh, my in strange this. interlude right. um <laughs> this this is a great book uh it's called freeing theology and i could swear when i read this in theology school it was called feminist theology but the author is uh catherine maury lacuna and uh she's uh, feminist theologians are kind of what's happening today. And I, when I took theology at Claremont, I remember, uh, this is 10 years ago, but the professor gets up and he says, uh, we're going to basically study three things. We're going to study uh, orthodox theology, process theology, and feminist theology. Hmm. And I'm thinking, well, I don't need to be here for the feminist theology. I'm a guy. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, but, you know, guys, it turns out... <laughs> Feminist theology is our best shot. This stuff is amazing. And uh, the, uh, Catherine Lacuna is a Roman Catholic, uh, like Mary Daly. You familiar with Mary Daly? Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, yes. There's great stuff going on in, in the Catholic world in feminist theology. And we talked about this on our last show, how they need to let the women in. Yes. To the priesthood, the Catholics do. Let them in. I want to say it again. Um, anyway, uh, Catherine Lacuna uh, had a passion uh, to make the doctrine of the Trinity relevant to the everyday life of modern Christians. Uh, she did not live a long life. She passed away in the 90s at the age of 44. Wow. Uh, but she really, uh, I think, tells a beautiful tale about the Cappadocians and the uh, Holy Trinity. Uh, the priority being communion among equal persons over being, over God as a being in itself. She felt that was on the same trajectory as the feminist concern for equality of women and men. Uh, the shared life of all persons, 
human or divine, consists in the communion that arises out of genuine diversity among equals. And again, that, that's what the Holy Trinity is. There's diversity, they're all three different, but they're all equal. Uh, and she argued that patriarchy is not the rule of God, that God rules by love in solidarity with the slave, the poor, the outcast, the uncircumcised, mm -hmm. all living together in unity, equality, and diversity. And she points to uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, where he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The doctrine of the Trinity is, uh, according to Lacunia, iconoclastic toward all political or structural arrangements in which one is in power over many. And I want to point out here, I, I read a lot of Raymond Chandler, and in, in mm. The Long Goodbye, he has this great sentence where uh, he says, um, it's the detective talking to a policeman, and he said, organized crime is just the price we pay for organization. <laughs> and, and I believe that about organized religion. Mm. It's the price we pay for organization. Organization is very helpful to us in mm. getting things done, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we adopt organization, we use it to get things done, but it comes at a cost. Mm. It, it is, uh, once you have an organization, you have a structure, you have a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. where we leave our understanding. We, uh, our religion becomes paternalism. Uh, Christianity has a Trinitarian doctrine on the books. I mean, it's, it's in the Nicene Creed. It's mm -hmm. in our psalms and our hymns and all this stuff. Um, but it very quickly grew into a movement that returns to Arius, examining God's inner life rather than examining God in relating. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, the... Uh, the Cappadocians wrote that God's fatherhood has nothing to do with gender, marriage, or pregnancy. It is, uh, it is the creative principle. Now we have, as you pointed out, we have male terms. I think there is a school that definitely sees the, the Holy Spirit as female. Uh, but any of that basically gets away from the fact that it's about three relating each of the three being equal and being united. Um, in the Father, all are created. In Jesus Christ, all are redeemed. In the Spirit, all are healed and transformed. So that's basically the, the action words uh, from the Cappadocians' point of view of the three parts of the Holy Trinity. Uh, God create, Jesus Christ redeem, the Spirit heal and transform. The, uh, in Acts 15, you have this situation where the, uh, the Jews who have followed Jesus' teachings and the Gentiles who have followed Jesus' teaching are all together at the first big jamboree. And uh, the first thing that comes up is, well, those, uh, those Gentiles had better go get circumcised if they're going <laughs> to be with us in religion. And uh, Paul decided, no, they don't have to be anything other than who they are. You know, they, that we come together in Christ, we come together as one, regardless of the fact that we have a different origin. Mm -hmm. um, the true church is to be a witness to the reign of God in which all false rulers are overturned and equality and communion reign. Um, and this, you know, we talked about uh, the problems in, I'm, I'm, I'm really talking up the Catholic uh, feminists here, but we, we talk about the problems in the Catholic Church and in all churches uh, that are going on right now. Uh, well, maybe what they need to do is change the words of the Father and the Son to something like the Son to Logos and take away any possible association with a real person like they do with the Holy Spirit, then it might be more equal because it has an effect. Language has an effect. Father and son. Sure, I get it that the, I have a father energy in me, but a lot of people don't get it. We, we have like the literalists and we have the gnosis kind of people. 
So maybe they need to change all the words so they just can't associate it with a person, like a human being, more of an energy, you know, like, and, and because it does matter to me that there are these two male energies and then there's this Holy Spirit, which I love the name. I love the Holy Ghost, actually. That's my favorite. <laughs> but it matters as a woman, you know, and, and how it's used in a lot of religions. There, there's no doubt it's used against gender even if it's not meant to be it is used it's it is uh, it is uh, lacuna yeah. points that out it's used as an argument uh against feminism by contemporary theologians not mm -hmm. just by long ago people mm -hmm. and, and she has a lot of critics uh who who assailed her with what she wrote about the about the holy trinity um who use the idea again going back to the Arian idea that you know, as Jesus is subservient to God, so woman must be subservient to man. That argument is put out there all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, Lacunia uh, goes back to the idea that in God's house, it's a monarchy of equals, and that this is, this is not the design of God. Um, and that the life of Jesus is at odds with sexist theology, white superiority, cultic privilege, exploitation, economic injustice. You know, the, uh, the problems that the Catholic priests are, the, the accusations being made and being proven tr true and all this kind of thing, these, these situations are not situations of equals. If they were seen as equals, and if the women were in there with them as equals, I don't think that would be happening. I think that would be going mm -hmm. on. I think it'd be a problem. The, uh, which, which brings me, talking about the Cappadocians as I have, and the Cappadocian's father uh, takes me to the life of a woman named Macrina, who was born in 327 to a wealthy family living in Turkey. She was named after her grandmother, who had studied theology and had been persecuted in the 3rd century. Macrina was the oldest of 10 siblings, and when her father died, Macrina took over the household. She was responsible for educating her younger brothers and sisters. She was to be in an arranged marriage, but the, the man she was going to marry died before the wedding, at which point she dedicated herself to assisting her mother uh, before entering the monastic life. She convinced her mother to relinquish her estate uh, after the death of the husband, and the two women began a convent consisting of freed slaves. Hmm. And uh, their religious devotion would leave uh, a greater impact than they could have imagined because uh, her the, she took over the education of her brothers, young men. There's nothing wilder than young men. <laughs> and she, you know, she took them over and taught them religion. And Two of those young men were these guys I've been talking about, Basil and uh, oh. Gregory, uh -huh. uh, who became the Cappadocian fathers. And they wrote books about their sister as the person that trained them, taught them everything. And so, you know, these, these teachings that the Cappadocians came up with, I, th I think, and many people think, were highly influenced by Macrina. Uh, the uh, again, you get the the glass ceiling in in Christian history for sure, because this mm -hmm. these ideas are credited to the Cappadocian uh, fathers, and uh, especially the Nicene Creed, which is where they made their their biggest contribution. It's interesting because um, as a Catholic, it's the Nicene Creed always bothered me a little bit. Yeah, oh. <laughs> you know, because I would say, you know, you're saying it every Sunday in church, and it always kind of like something about, you know, I believe in the, I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, you know, I believe in the, you know, this, this only thing, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I remember that one used to, and I, look, I had no problems being Catholic. I went to Catholic schools. I, there are so many wonderful Catholic communities out there, but it was something about the Nicene Creed and just the way it was worded just seemed so absolute with like no regard for anybody else other than themselves. It was like, I used to kind of like skip saying, it was like be sitting in church and I'd be like, I'm not going to say that part, but I don't want anyone to know that I'm not saying that part. Um, so it's, it's just... Just that whole these... experience of hearing all these people say, I believe yes. in unison. Yes. It's just so spooky. It was, it, yeah, was, it, was, it was, it was, it's something it's, about it just did not seem right spooky to stuff, me yeah. as like a, as like a, 
I would probably from anywhere from around 10 is when I began to feel it and definitely up through high school I was just like yeah it just seems a little you know cultish in some way you know and the, and the Catholic Church is not it's not a cult but it's something about it was just very no the the, the, the creed gives it that cultish feel yes. for sure in in my church in the disciple church we outlaw creeds there's mm-hmm. no creeds allowed uh, because there is freedom of thought at the base of everything but the importance of the Nicene Creed is mm-hmm. that's where they established you know there was all these different groups and that's where they established what Christianity what you confess if you are a Christian right. what it means and uh, I did you now you grew up Catholic did you have the doxology in in probably not because the music was written by Martin Luther so so probably not no I don't recognize that it always got me in, in growing up in a Methodist church <laughs> when everybody would suddenly stand I guess it was after the offertory and everybody would suddenly stand and sing the, the doxology yeah. praise God from whom all blessings flow oh yes and, yes yes and that there was something about the way that the the grown-ups would sing that uh, they knew it. First of all, that all these people knew it. That's what first That's got me as a kid. Too, like they just—they're not looking at their hymnal. They know this, this music. They know it all by heart. Yeah, and so did I. At some point, I was like, "Oh my God!" Now I know from it all. But the, you know, the words are not words; they're sounds. Yes, you know, so you, yes. don't really, you have the words a and little different. And nobody really sometimes. quite understands what it means, but they know they have to say it, and they know it. But they don't really know the depth of it. Well, the, the part that would always get me at the end is "Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost," and that's when I—that's when I. First encountered the Holy Ghost, and to me it was such an odd idea. Right. And and you, of course, what do you think of? You're a kid. I'm a kid. <laughs> right. What am I thinking of when they say the ghost? And like, I'm I'm thinking of Casper the Friendly exactly. Ghost. Well, like, of did you, did, is that a, did you experience Casper <laughs> yes, the Friendly Ghost? I love Casper. If you look at Casper the Friendly Ghost, he is a spirit. And he just wants to be friends, man. Yeah. And he and, and yeah. nobody yeah. wants him he's because he's a no. ghost. Yeah. And and they see him and they go, oh, ghost! Ah, they won't be friends with him. Right. Uh, so, the, but then there's other images of the ghost um, in in the South. You know, you have the image of, of the Ku Klux Klan. You have the, oh, right. you have so darker horrible. you have dark yeah. images yeah. associated. With the ghost, or for a fan of horror movies, you have the undead. You have right. the, uh, uh, the there, there. There's a dark side to that imagery, for sure. And 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 there's a sense that somehow it's secret. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's not secret because everybody's saying it. But the, uh, <laughs> the the idea is that what is that ghost doing that I'm s- not supposed to know they about? They want to slip that dark if you do it all wrong and you lie and you break the Ten Commandments, so the ghost is going to come get you or something. Yeah. It's yeah. Just slip it. It, it's it, 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 so I'm saying it could be used in all kinds of dark ways and uh, uh, the 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 ways that it plays upon our imagination, but the. Uh, the idea that I learned in theology school of what the Holy Ghost is is this is you know the, the this is the life of Christ now after the death it's it's all of the actions of Christ after the death of Christ and I don't know uh, so I don't I, know if that's a I'm really gonna, uh push this along a little bit because we yeah. only have like five minutes left and I really wanted it? to hear oh my goodness about ouch your, your next segment. Oof, okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, that's all right. Well, I wanted to talk about Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, you know, you know Mary Baker Eddy. I know only of who she is. Okay. That's uh, it. Okay. Well, that's that's. Well, good. I don't know anything about her. Okay. So I can't <laughs> wait to hear. Okay. Well, <laughs> Mary Baker Eddy uh, lived at the uh, at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. And she established the Church of Christian Scientists, the Christian ah. Scientist Church, and and she uh, also uh, created the publication, the Christian Science Monitor, which is a global newspaper that right. has won seven Pulitzer prizes. She wrote a book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, which has been a bestseller for decades and was selected as one of the seventy-five books by women that have most changed the world. Hmm. Um, and. Uh, her work arose from her perception of the failure of the church to follow Christ's command mm. and call for a healing ministry. Mm-hmm. And what she did was she went to the Bible. She herself had a, a bad accident 
and she couldn't get the treatment that she needed. And uh, after reading uh, about one of Jesus's healings in the Bible, she uh, began to examine what this healing was about. And she, through prayer, healed herself, even mm -hmm. though those, those around her did not expect her to survive. When she realized the importance of what had happened, uh, she committed herself to an understanding of the making of that healing from the Bible. And she discovered uh, a view of the Trinity that enables Christians to once again do the works that Jesus promised to those who believe based on what he said about God himself and mankind. We acknowledge and adore one supreme and infinite God. We acknowledge his Son, one Christ, the Holy Ghost, the divine comforter, and man in God's image and likeness. Now this re returns to Augustine's idea of the Holy Trinity within us. So that uh, there's something in us that either mirrors or contains the workings of the three in the Holy, Holy Trinity. And Mary Baker Eddy and Christian science practitioners and Christian sciences and other metaphysicians have used this concept for healing. Mm -hmm. With the idea, uh, Mary Baker Eddy's description is the father is God, the father, mother, cause, creator, source, life. The son is effect the manifestation of the one and only cause, the Messiah or Christ, or also Christ is seen in her eyes as truth. The Holy Ghost, uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring and, and guiding and animating us, the comforter fulfilling the law of divine love, demonstrating the power of Christ, impelling and enforcing divine truth, God as cause, Son as effect. So the Trinity is an explanation of the very essence and basis of being itself with the idea that, that God is creation, the Son is thought or the movement of thought or reasoning, and the Holy Spirit is transformation, the final change. And the Holy Spirit, we talked about mm. the Holy Ghost being something you don't see. Uh, God, you don't see. Jesus, people saw him for a while. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, represents uh, the transformation in a healing. Hmm. The, uh, the, you, you don't really see it right away, but suddenly it becomes real. Um, or the Holy Trinity could be seen as life, truth, and love. Now, William Walter was a student of Mary Baker Eddy's. And Mary Baker Eddy was seen as, I guess, a healer, uh, but what she really taught was self-healing. She was a teacher of self-healing. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the healings in Scripture, it's so often that Jesus' ability to heal somebody needs their participation for it to mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. And right. a lot of people think of healing as a passive thing. You know, no. like the healer came and put his hand on me and, oh, I was healed. It's huh. like, yeah, no, no, you do. participate. Jesus huh. yes. tells the woman, you healed yourself. She mm -hmm. says, thank you for healing me. She says, no, you healed yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what Mary Baker Eddy was teaching. And William Walter uh, has a method for this. That, and, and all of this contributes so much to the mental science movement of the 20th century, Makes the sense. early 20th century. Yeah. The whole idea of visualizations and all of this comes from her, uh, in my opinion, or she was a, a big contributor to it. William Walter uh, teaches the Father is consciousness. The Father is perception, uh, the mental element. Uh, in the, if you look at it like this, in the beginning, there was the void. Okay, That's consciousness. That's the Father. And then the face of God moves upon the waters. That motion is thought. Mm -hmm. So God, through thought, and then the Holy Spirit. So that's that's the Son there, mm -hmm. the, the face of God moving upon the waters. Mm -hmm. And the final result is there was light. Mm -hmm. That's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. yeah, so the, I uh, love that. That's a great way to end the show. Right We're in the, oh, I ran that out of time. Perfect. I had so much more we to say. But it's, a, it's a, always so great to have you here. I can't wait to the next time already. Yes. Well, it's great. That Thanks was a lot to and, absorb. I'm uh, going to definitely listen to it again, actually. Yeah. And thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And like us and keep supporting us. And I hope you have a great week. Yeah.
Have a beautiful week. Like, share, subscribe. We love you guys. Thank you.